You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the hot stove. Going and going. Goodbye, baseball. Nelson Cruz. On 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. The Kings 1-2 swing and a miss. He gets them with me on a changeup. Let's fire up the hot stove and talk some Mariners baseball. Here's your host, Rick Riz. And welcome to our Valentine's Day edition of Hot Stove. We are live tonight from our 710 ESPN studios here in Seattle. I'm Rick Riz along with Mike Blowers, producer-engineer, Kevin Kremen, of course, uh, Matty Harden in the studios, hitting all the right buttons. So uh, happy Valentine's Day, guys, to your wives, to Margaret, and to Nicole. Ricky, very same to you. Thank you very much. Special day for the ladies. Yes, of course. Yes. And, and now I'm sitting here next to you. <laughs> <laughs> so happy Valentine's Day, Nicole and, uh, and Margaret. And all you out there, hope you're having a very special day. Uh, a lot of fun today because uh, we got, number one, we have a great show that Kevin has put together. We're going to visit with... Uh, Mariners trainer Rick Griffin, beginning his 35th season with the organization. Started the same year Kevin and I did back in 1983. We'll visit with Mariners bench coach Tim Bolgar, guys who's in charge of uh, all things uh, running the show down at spring training. By the way, things get another way. Pitchers and catchers have reported down in Peoria, Arizona. We're also going to visit with uh, Felix Hernandez, an interview with Felix. Uh, visit, had a chance to visit with the media after the first day of getting together down in uh, Arizona. And in the second hour, we're going to visit with Mark Langston, former Mariner pitcher. Now he's been on radio for a number of years, uh, working with Terry Smith on the radio side, broadcasting games for the uh, Angels. So we'll see how the Angels are going to stack up in the American League West this year. And then we'll wind down, wind down the second hour of our Valentine's Day edition with uh, Ryan Divish of the Seattle Times. So, Mike, uh, what was it like for you? Here it is, spring training, guys, the pitchers and catchers reporting. What was that last day like for you of the off season as you got ready for that first day of spring training? Well, you know what, Ricky, it's, it's one of those things where you and I are, have been fortunate to where this has been our life. And I know how you feel. You're anxious to get down there. And as a player, you can't wait. As I think for most of them, once you get past the first of the year, even though these guys work out all winter and, and they're concentrating on the upcoming season, once you get past the first of the year, that's when you really start to think yeah. about spring training. Um, and so I, I know that a number of the guys that showed up today were, were excited um, to get to the clubhouse. And that's one of the best things, too, is especially if you're one of the core guys that have been around for a while and you know everybody, you're anxious to get down there and see. Because, look, they spend so much time with each other during the summer that when winter comes around, they take off with their family. Yeah. And for the most part, you know, they, they may talk to the guys or see them here and there. But it, it's pretty neat to get back in the clubhouse and see all the guys and see what was going on with their lives over the winter and, yeah. and see how everybody's doing. That was my next question. Was it like the first day of school, a chance yeah. to reacquaint everybody? Hey, how was your off season? And then, uh, you know, get ready, go on the field and start working out. Yeah, it's exactly like that. And, and I think that, you know, the great thing about baseball and, and, and when you go and you show up to spring training is just the anticipation of everything and what can be. As a, as, a, as a player, you think about what type of year can you possibly have, yeah. and then you think about your team and, and how good is your team, and are you guys going to be able to win and get into the postseason? And, and most people feel that they do when they show up to spring sure. training. That's just kind of your mindset. And, but then you get to work, and I, I think the, the greatest thing is, is getting out on the grass in the sun, stretching that first day. It's, it's, yeah. it's just it's an awesome thing. I, I, I love 
that first day for me when I get down there and Kevin, to hear the bat hitting the ball, uh, the ball popping into the glove, and, and it, you know, it's, it's the right of spring, it's, it's the sound of spring, yeah. and it just makes me feel like everything is right with the world. You know? Yeah. No, it, it's terrific, and, and I know there will be a lot of Mariner fans that will be down there and make their visit to Peoria this year, and everybody that I've talked to that has ever made a trip down there, they love being there as fans too because of those things that you're talking about, Rick. That first day of workouts, did you tell you know tell yourself, okay, the work that I put into the off season paid off. I I feel pr- pretty good. I think my body's mm. going to hold up for the rest mm. of the spring and throughout the year. It's interesting because I think it depends on where you're at in your career. Um, you get smarter with age, Ricky. And I know for myself when I was when I first went to spring training, my first major league camp, um, trying to fight and make a ball club. Uh, go, go, go. I was ready to go, yes, from, from the first time, and, and it was full tilt the entire time, go as hard as I could every single day. Um, and then you get a little bit older, and I think you realize that it doesn't matter what you do over the course of the winter. I don't care what your workout is. You get into that first week, and you're going to have some sort of soreness. Yeah. Because for most of these guys, they have not been outside. Right. And it's just different than working out in a gym or a field house. And, and, and Everything gets ramped up a little bit more, and I, I think you understand that when you go into it, so you pay more attention to it. Um, it'll be interesting talking to Rick Griffin. You tell us Rick is going to be on, and, and that's something I'm sure he will talk about too as, as we move forward. But um, it's just one of those things that as you put a couple of years in and you've kind of established yourself, then you have a better idea on how uh, to deal with spring training, especially that first week to 10 days. Spring training is underway down in Peoria, Arizona, and uh, earlier today the media had a chance to catch up with Felix Hernandez and had a chance to talk with the King about day one down in Peoria. Oh, first of all, Africa was fine. It was fun. The athletes have been, been good to me. Uh, and then real workout. That's it. Aaron Glenn, you still talking to him? Oh, yeah. Because he worn you down. Yeah, he's, he's pretty good. I mean, it's a tough workout. What was the first thing for you? What were you working on differently this year? Working on everything. I mean, the whole body. You know, to be balanced, the whole body, left, left and right side. Uh, we do a lot of bangs. Uh, we do a lot of stuff. Yeah. What was that first workout like with him? Was it hard? It was in New York. Uh, it, was, it was okay. It wasn't hard. It wasn't dry. <laughs> but after that, we get, we get after. You feel different? I mean, you feel strong? No, I feel, feel good. I mean, got no problems at all. Felix, is this year different? Given what the injury and all that stuff last year and how it didn't go the way you wanted it? You know, more urgency coming into this year? Uh, I got to put people around, so I feel fine. I mean, I'm healthy, and that's the main thing. You feel people are doubting you? Sometimes, I think so, yeah. Okay. I don't know why. Still here. <laughs> With the WBC, how has that changed your offseason? Uh, uh, we started working out earlier. I mean, I went to the Olympics winning ball for, for two games, and then came back to Miami, keep working out, and uh, I mean, it's hard. I've been throwing, throwing bullpen. So you're ahead of where you know oh, yeah. are this yeah. time of year. Yeah. What does it do going forward when, once camp starts tomorrow? Stuff. How is your schedule going to be different? Than maybe? I got to, I got to sit down with Mel and talk about everything. You feel good? Everything's fine now. Yeah. I feel really good. Okay. Let's. Not no problems. Well, I mean, winter ball. You know, you only get the two two outings. But how weird was that to be throwing that early? It was it was fun. Yeah. I mean, first of all, in Valencia, last game, it was with my, all my family there. It was something that uh, that was different. Felix Hernandez, man, you gotta love that guy. And 
I'll tell you what, yeah, he did have a rough year, but he had the injury, Mike. He was out for six weeks last year. Was it the same in the second half? And we've got to remember that this guy, you know, for 11, 12 seasons, one of the best of the best in the American League. And I look, that, look for um, a motivated, a healthy Felix Hernandez, who's again mm-hmm. going to lead this ball club. Well, I, I think a couple of things um, for him. Obviously, he's in camp now, and, and, and he's healthy, which is the most important thing for him. But one of the things about Felix to me that, and, and I've talked about it over the years, um, watching him from the time he was 19, is Felix, I think, is at his best when he has an edge and some energy to what he is doing. Yeah. Um, he's logged a lot of innings for this organization. And listening to him right there, I, I, he just seems really motivated to go out and have right. a big year, which in turn would obviously be huge for this club because one of the things that you can talk about Felix and the injury he had last year and missing the amount of time that he missed. When you have been in this league for 10 years and you really haven't had to deal with that too much, and then you come back and you constantly have to wonder, because he knows how important he is to this club, how healthy is he and and, and how careful is he trying to be so he doesn't re-enter the calf and, and the other issues he was having. I I talked to a number of people over the winter doing different radio shows and interviews and people talking about Felix, and, and I just shake my head a little bit because this guy has done so much, and he's reinvented himself, and he, and he continues. Yeah, he and, and, he, and, and he's not a guy that all of a sudden just lost his 97-mile-hour fastball and doesn't know how to pitch. He's one of the best pitchers in this league and has been for a long time. I think if he's healthy, um, he will make the adjustments he needs to make, uh, and he, he's going to be just fine. And I think the one thing that we all saw last year is how important he is at the top of the rotation. And what it meant, because the team was playing pretty well, and all of a sudden he goes on the disabled list for an extended period of time, and it really shook the club up over that period of time to try to figure things out. And I can tell you from having been fortunate enough to have a number one starter in Randy Johnson on the teams that I played for here in Seattle, you you know every five days you have a real chance to win. So you're going to go through the season, and you're going to lose three, four games at a time, but then you know that guy's turn, and Felix is that guy for this club, along with the amount of innings that he logs to take the pressure off the bullpen. Uh, Scott Service can manage his bullpen because he knows Felix is coming up. So he's critical for this club. Uh, I'm happy to hear that he's healthy and and he's ready to go. I heard Shannon Dreyer earlier today, and she said that from where he was at at the end of the season to where he is now, he's gained 17 pounds of good weight. So that, that's, that's encouraging, too, when you hear him talking about the workout and the schedule he had this winter. Yeah, and you heard him talk about his trainer, Iron Glenn, working with Iron <laughs> Glenn during the offseason. So he is motivated, and uh, I tell you what, he takes a lot of pride in what he has done throughout his major league career, and he just wants to continue that, hopefully, for the next uh, nine, ten years or so. Great to catch up with Felix Hernandez. And coming up next, we're going to visit with longtime Mariners trainer Rick Griffin down at spring training. We'll be back. As our Valentine's Day edition of Hot Stove continues right after this timeout. All things Mariners, all off season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Say, friends, Mariners 10 game flex packs are on sale right now. Enjoy the flexibility of picking the games and events you want to see, including opening day on April the 10th. It's coming quickly. Make sure you're on hand for the excitement of the Home opener by picking up your 10-game flex pack before single-game tickets go on sale. For details, log on to Mariners.com slash flex. We're going to have our first spring training game coming up on February the 25th when the Mariners take on the San Diego Padres in that uh, first game at the Peoria Sports Complex. That's not too far away. Rick Riz along with Mike Blowers, producer-engineer Kevin Kremen, and now our special guest, 
is uh, Mariners trainer Rick Griffin down in Peoria, Arizona, where there's plenty of sunshine, nice and warm, 60, 60-something players in camp right now for Rick Griffin. Rick, thanks for joining us tonight here on Valentine's Day. Uh, this You're beginning your 35th season with the Mariners in the uh, big league. So what are your thoughts about going back 35 years ago to your first spring there in uh, Tempe, Arizona? What do you remember about that spring? Uh, very chaotic. Very, very chaotic. <laughs> I, I got hired four days before spring training started. So I was hired, got on a plane, and went to Arizona, and uh, it was kind of a blur. Um, I was lucky to have a couple of really good players to help me. Jim Beatty and Gaylord Perry kind of helped me and took me under their wings and showed me the ropes a little bit. But it's uh, it's a lot different now. Obviously, the facility is much better. Um, the medical staff is a lot bigger, and I think we do a much better job now. Yeah, the facility there in Peoria is a lot nicer than uh, underneath the stands at uh, Tempe Diablo Stadium, isn't it? Yeah, way better. <laughs> Well, how has spring training changed uh, for you down through the years? Well, I think the, the the biggest thing is the players come into camp in much better shape than they used to. Uh, when I first started, they came to spring training to get into shape, and it took almost the entire spring training period for them to get into baseball shape and get ready to start the season. And now these guys, they come into camp in such excellent shape, and they're they're ready to go almost within five to seven days. Uh, they work out all off season. They take better care of themselves. They eat better. It just makes it makes our job a lot easier because when they do come into camp, they're in real good shape. Right. I was telling um, Rick and I were talking when we started the show, and and that's one of the things that I was talking about. And I told him he was asking me about getting into spring training, and I told him it's a little bit different depending on where you're at in your career. And as a younger player, obviously I'm trying to make a team, so I'm all out every day. And then after you kind of figure things out. You realize how to take care of yourself because one of the things I always found um, is that no matter how hard I work and what kind of shape I'm in, uh, coming into spring training, just getting outside for the first time, it seems that there was always something that was sore. You have aches and pains, and I imagine that you constantly have to talk to the guys about that, especially the first week to 10 days. Yeah, and especially the the two issues that just kind of bring even to more in in the limelight is when when you get a guy coming over from another team and he wants to come in here and show his new teammates the the front office his manager and coaching staff you know what he's got so a lot of times they push themselves early and that can create a lot of problems and the same thing you get a young player that comes in a high draft pick or somebody wants to impress them the pitching coach or the manager and they do too much too soon we've had through the years we've had some guys that have gotten hurt doing that and that's just something you can't do and and Scott's great about uh, about talking to those guys and telling them, hey, you don't need to impress me now. You don't need to do anything. Let's just get through spring training, work hard, and get healthy, and things will take care of themselves. And that's a, that's a really important message for those guys. We also heard from Felix. He sounded upbeat, sounded like he was in great shape. Have you had a chance to see him yet and talk to him, and where is he at? Yeah, he. we did the, the physicals today and all the pitchers and catchers, and and it's always it's always great to see Felix after having seen him for a long time. But he uh, he changed his routine a little bit. We had him do some different things this year when he went home. Uh, had him do more leg work, and he did a little bit more lifting than he's done. And he looked really really good. Um, in past years, he's come in you know pretty lean, and he's come in a little bit lighter uh, each year. And uh, he came into camp this year, and he looks very good. And he, he changed his routine, and we're really pleased with what we saw today. Rick, at the end of the season or any particular year do you, do you send everybody home with a checklist of 
of things to do, and, and how often do you check in on them during the course of the offseason as they scatter around the country and around the globe in their respective homes? And and uh, and what do you see when, when they show up on that first day of the spring? Well, what, at the end of the season, they have to have an exit physical, and during that exit physical, we do percent body fats uh, on the players, and they've all had it done in the spring, and then occasionally during the year they do it two or three times. So we have a pretty good idea where we want them to come into camp the next year. So they're assigned uh, a specific weight, and then they, they're they supposed to come into camp very close to that weight. Um, and then also we give them certain things to work on based on what their injury history was during the course of the year. And then our strength and conditioning staff, they give each one of the players individual programs. We just don't hand out a sheet when everybody does the same thing. They, they have specific individualized programs, and then they go home and they start working on those things. And between the strength coaches and the athletic trainers uh, calling the players in the offseason, they probably all get contacted, I would say, between three and five times. When you, when you talk about that, and we'll, we'll, let's, let's concentrate on the pitcher since they're the one that, that showed up today. Um, I, I was thinking about this this as I was driving in and the club in general, and, and I was thinking about James Paxton. Um, outside of the injuries, and last year, unfortunately, he gets hit with a line drive when he was on a pretty good run. Um, but can you talk a little bit about what went into James last year and how closely you work with, with Mel um, when you start talking about changing arm angles and, and the way that he's going about his business and maybe some of the mechanics that went into it with Paxton? Because I know that you know a lot about all that stuff. keep him healthy he has has had some unusual injuries and uh he and mel work together real well mel's a great communicator um he sat him down and you know they they went over video and he showed him different things and and adjusting his arm angle and working on his release point was something that that he did and he he picks things up very very well paxton is extremely analytical and mechanical he he actually if you tell him something he'll he'll probably go home and he'll he'll think about that the whole night and 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 for several days until he can figure it out and then he'll practice and practice until he gets it down he's a he's a perfectionist but the the biggest thing with Mel is he communicates with those guys really well and, and he individualizes what each person needs to do and he's also a really good listener it doesn't do any good if 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 someone's telling something to something all the time but they're not listening what's coming back from them because you have to have both those things working together it's not going to work out and he's really good at that obviously it's difficult for pitchers because they're throwing a baseball especially at the velocities that major league pitchers throw it at um there's always that the, the the chance for injury for anybody even if your mechanics are sound do you do you ever go to the pitching coach maybe even if you see a younger player and see maybe a potential issue down the road that can be um, taken care of now so that maybe you decrease the opportunity for injury for them yeah we yeah we i mean i i'm definitely not a pitching coach but i've been around a lot of pitchers and i i see certain things and i know i know there's there's certain things that if you do those things then you're putting yourself more at risk uh particularly guys for example who throw really harder than we call it a a whip finish where they don't follow through. They stop their arm halfway down, and that doesn't allow the arm to swing through and the forces to go towards the plate. It just stops so quickly. Those guys are predisposed to having having elbow problems and elbow injuries. And, and one of the guys that was like that early was Mark Lowe. And Mark Lowe came up from the minor leagues, and he was that way. And we, we said right from the beginning, we got to watch this guy. He's going to get hurt. And he ultimately did end up getting hurt. But then when he came back from his surgery, then he – he threw the way that we all felt like he needed to in terms of his follow-through, not release point or mechanical things, but just on his follow-through. And, 
and his elbow hasn't bothered him since. So, I mean, we, I do occasionally say things and it, you have to pick your spots and you have to be careful because all these guys got to the big leagues because they throw a certain way and they're able to do something very well. So the last thing I want to recommend or a pitching coach is going to go in and is change somebody. Uh, you do it if you think you can prevent an injury, but you don't do it just for the sake of doing something. Visiting with Mariners trainer Rick Rippin here on our Valentine's Day edition of Hot Stove. Rick, besides Mike Blowers, <laughs> besides Michael, who was your, your favorite player to work with down th- through the years? <laughs> the define work. <laughs> Somebody who would listen to you and put in the effort my, my and see the results. The <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I had the one player that lived in the training room for 14 years, and he just sort of put his locker in there. And, and uh, he was in there pretty much every day for Jay multiple Buner. hours and multiple body parts. And, and uh, Mr. Jay Buner. <laughs> you still have so that I'm not skeleton? Say he's the favorite, but he's definitely up there. But if you talk about. You know, most hours spent, then for sure. <laughs> he kept you busy, did he? he? Well, he kept a lot of people busy. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you still have that skeleton with all the posted things on it that, that uh, outlined every injury that he had? Because it, it, yeah, that skeleton looked it like it was wearing a yellow suit. Yeah, it, uh, it's hanging up in the training room, and, and we get two or three high schools that come in every year. And uh, we talk to them about sports medicine and baseball how things are in the big leagues. And, and that's like the grand finale. We take him over and then we show him, you know, this is what happens to a major league player when he has a, a tough career and a long career and he battles through injuries, but he still gets out on the field. And, and then I tell him it's Jay Buhner and they're just like in shock that somebody could have that many things wrong and still still yeah. be able to do things. But when I retire, I'm going to give that to Jay so he can hang it up in his living room over his mantle. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, well, I'll say cool. this, too, it, and, and Jay is just one of many, Ricky, but you've done such a tremendous job in extending guys' careers and get them healthy on the field. It's uh, You and your staff have been that way for forever, it seems like, and, and I hope a lot of the guys come by from time to time to thank you for that because you do a great job. Yeah, that, that, that's that's nice of you to say, Blow, but I, and that that's really a nice thing. I had Terry Lovello told me, uh, I ran into him last year, and he said he's been trying to see me for the last three or four years to thank me for the time that he was over here and how I took care of him. And so that's always nice to hear because you, you do try to do a good job and try to help these guys, and, uh, and it makes you feel good when you hear stuff like that. Well, Ricky, you do that and more for the players, and not only for just the players but for the broadcasters as well. And, and and we thank you for that, too, because it's a long season and uh, you do a fantastic job. So thank you for the visit tonight, buddy. We'll see you in, a, in the next uh, few days. All right. You guys uh, get down here and look forward to seeing you. All right. Rick Griffin, the uh, head trainer for the Seattle Mariners. And uh, coming up next, we're going to visit with Mariners bench coach Tim Bogar, and he's in charge of all things spring training, putting that uh, that daily schedule together. And it's a, it's a big, big job. We'll be back with Tim Bogar. Right after this. Back to more of the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Ah, we've got the dozen roses here, the chocolates. Yes, it's Valentine's Day, Valentine's Day for all you ladies out there. Hope you're having a great evening. Hot Stove continues. Rick Riz along with Mike Blowers, producer engineer Kevin Kremen, Maddie. Harden in the uh, studio as well. And now we're going to visit with the uh, pride of Eastern Illinois University. He's the bench coach for the Seattle Mariners, second year in a row. Tim Bogar is going to join us right now. Tim, how are things going down in uh, Peoria? Physicals 
underway. And great job by you and the staff and Scott Service last year. 86-win season, a 10-win improvement. What do you think, first of all, welcome to the show again, what do you think year two is going to look like and feel like this spring for you and the rest of the staff? Well, first of all, thanks for making me the pride of Eastern Illinois. Well, but, you um, Not Tony Romo, <laughs> you. Tony Romo you. and all kinds of other people. But anyway, we're really excited about this year. I think uh, the first thing you got to acknowledge is how much work uh, Jerry and his front office did to uh, to continue to improve this team and to give us an opportunity to maybe take the next step and um and push it, push us a little bit farther uh, in the season, and, and get a chance to uh, play in the playoffs. Um, it's really exciting the depth that he's uh, acquired, and not only the starting pitching, but the relief pitching, the the outfield, the the, the infield. The, our AAA and AA teams are going to be pretty pretty much stacked. Um, on top of that, too, because we all know that you don't go through the season with the first 25 guys you start with. And I'm just really, really happy with what Jerry's done to to put Scotty in the position to make the moves that he needs to make. I, I know that last year, you and the staff and, and Scott and everybody just trying to figure out the organization as a whole, what you have, what you don't have, get to know the players that are going to be on the club. And I don't think anybody beat you to the ballpark on any given morning at all. Are your hours going to change a little bit now that you at least have a year <laughs> under your belt? Uh, honestly, Mike, I can't do it. I got to be there first. You know, <laughs> I, I, um, <laughs> it's Good. just to what I do. And, you know, it's one of those things where you got to find some, some time that you're not going to, you're not going to have to answer questions from anybody all day and get a little bit of peace and quiet before the, before the big storm of the day. And so I get there early and, you know, uh, try to be prepared for, for the beginning of the day. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's no big deal for me. I think it's just one of those things where you just switch your day. I start at four in the morning and go to bed at eight instead of starting at six and go to bed at 10. When you go through it and, and you organize everything in spring training and, and, and do a lot of other things, obviously being the right hand man for Scott down there is what's the one thing that you enjoy doing the most as far as spring training goes, is there any one particular thing that you look forward to doing? You know what? I, I really look forward to, to that, that first day, not only a pitcher and catcher, but that first day a full full squad, and we go out there, and everybody knows exactly where they're supposed to be, and we're out there teaching and showing them what we want for this year. And um, you get through that first day, and you walk back in, and you're like, you just feel a sense of accomplishment, and we've started that step towards the to, to the success of the season. So um, you know the organizational part of it. Um, is always fun and challenging for me to try to figure out where 60 plus guys are supposed to be at every at any given minute, and um, um, and making sure that they're getting what they need to be able to be successful for the season. So that's that's usually the the most important thing for me during a spring training. Yeah, that's got to be a challenge. Uh, visiting with Mariners bench coach Tim Bogar here in Hot Stove and. And, Tim, with Jerry DePoto making so many deals with 37 trades over the last couple of off-seasons involving over 90 players, he's really turned over the roster and that 40-man roster as well. I thought that that 9 o'clock morning kumbaya session worked so well for you guys to get to know one another, and then you got onto the field, you became a team inside that clubhouse, the veterans bought into it. 
Uh, same thing uh, this spring. Uh, a lot of new faces as well, you know, on this ball club in 2017. Yeah, I, I think Scotty did such an amazing job with that last year, bringing a bringing the group of guys um, that man, we were basically strangers in there. Not only the coaching staff yeah. uh, working together for the first time, but having so many new players that that, that Jerry had brought in and. You know, this year it pretty much mimics it again. I mean, we've got, you know, 20, I believe it's 23 of the pitchers um, this year have never been in this camp before. Um, you know, so that's a, that's a huge number. And, and to get them to understand what we've started here last year and the foundation we built and, and how well Scotty got everybody's personality to come out and, and not only work hard, but have a lot of fun and enjoy yeah. being with each other because you guys know six months together, eight months together, it can it, it gets long at times. You guys did a great job with that last year. Visited with Mariners bench coach Tim Bogart. We'll be back here on Hot Stove with Tim right after these messages. All things Mariners, all off-season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Welcome back to Hot Stove. Hey, sign up your little sluggers up for the 2017 Mariners Kids Club. All members receive an official badge and lanyard, a wiffle ball, and drawstring backpack. Want more? Well, the MVP membership offers kids exclusive autograph and batting practice opportunities, discounted tickets, Mariners gear, and more. For full details on how you can become a member of the Mariners Kids Club, log on to mariners.com slash kids club. Mike, I wish we had that when I was a kid growing up on the south side of Chicago. See my... Here with Louis after each show. Yeah, I, 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 I know. Like that, I, I, yeah, I've heard you talk about that a few times. Once or twice I brought it up, maybe. So, Tim, thanks for waiting through the break. We'll move on from whatever Rick was talking about right there. <laughs> hey, uh, one of the things I was thinking about during the break is uh, the World Baseball Classic. Obviously, some more challenges for you and Scott to try to get through spring training. I believe you guys have 11 uh, players that are going to be playing in the Classic. Can you talk about that a little bit and some of the challenges for you guys in the organization? Yeah, obviously, you know, spring training is a little bit longer because of it. Um, but, you know, being able to prepare these guys before they go off so that, that we know that they're going to be in the best shape that they're going to uh, can be so so they can compete at the at this WBC. Um, it makes it a little bit challenging for us in certain areas because when we do lose, lose the players, um, you know, we – we lose the numbers. Like if you look at our infield, we're going to end up having only seven guys in camp once Cano and uh, Segura leave. Um, so it's going to be, uh, you know, a little bit of stretch to, you know, we bring up the guys from the minor leagues all the time to kind of fill in at the end of games anyway. But, um, you know, it's just one of those situations where you got to be patient with some guys and not expect a lot early and just, Especially on the pitching side of it, there's no rush to get get the rest of the guys um, amped up as much because because the guys that are leaving for the WBC have to get their innings in and get their their pitches in so they're ready. So like for example, like Felix is probably going to pitch a lot more than he did you know in previous spring trainings before he leaves. Um, so you, you're going to see some of the some of the big guys playing a little bit more and getting a little bit more at bats early in camp. Visited with Mariners bench coach Tim Bogar. Tim, uh, this this ball club looks like it's it's pretty well set uh, with a lot of different uh, guys coming in. Additions: Gerard Dyson. You got uh, youth in right field. You have uh, Hanniger. Well, how how 
tough is it sometimes challenging to get the younger players that you talked about time enough to see, number one, who they are, what they can do, and, and, and if they can possibly, possibly make the ball club coming out of spring training? Well, I think one of the one of the biggest things is to to understand that um, we are pretty set going in. Um, there are a few decisions. Um, obviously, you know we have we have that utility infield spot that's that's going to be fought for this year. You know, between the likes of O'Malley and Freeman and Motter, and you know we got a couple of the bullpen spots we got to talk about. But for the most part, I think a lot of the guys coming in they they understand that. They understand what um, this team is made of now and where we're going um, in what direction to begin the season at. And I think I mentioned earlier, I mean, we we, we are going to need some of these younger yeah. players. So giving them an opportunity to get more at-bats early in camp um, uh, is going to give us a, an idea of you know what we have if we need them as the season goes on. Tim, can you define what what a bench coach does during the course of uh, a ball game during the course of the regular season? And what was it like working with Scott Service, uh, a young guy who took over a job as a manager in the big leagues for the very first time and did a heck of a job last year? He really did. And, you know, Scotty, Scotty's always, you know, I've known Scott for a long time. Um, they haven't, the last year was the first time we worked so closely together um, and, you know, we we grew we grew even closer as as the year went on, and I think this year's even going to be better. But um, you know, Scotty's Scotty's always attacked everything full full bore, and I think both of you know by being in camp and with us all year last year that um, he does things his way, and there's always a reason, and it's kind of hard uh, to to uh, go against his reasoning because there's, it's pretty sound. Um, so. It was fun working with Scotty. So, you know, what, what what it was for me as a bench coach, my responsibilities are basically to be prepared um, to answer any questions that Scotty would have as, as the game goes on, whether that's with the pitching staff, you know, the bullpen moves, uh, making, making substitutions as in hitters or pinch runners and things like that. Um, I also control the running game you know, to make sure that our pitchers uh, do a good job of of not allowing stolen bases, which um, we did okay at last year. But we're gonna we're gonna you know work with our analytical department and try to try to improve on that. Um, and then also it's it's one of those things where you coach the coaches and and uh, keep the players um, you know thinking about what's what where we're headed and what we're doing and trying to take some things off of Scotty's plate so he can concentrate on the on the things that are going to help this club win baseball games every night. I think that one of the things that we picked up right away last year and, and you mentioned Jerry uh, DePoto and of course Scott and, and and you're certainly in the same class but you guys are all excellent communicators and I know that's something that Scott talked to me about quite a bit at the start of spring training last year and and over the course of the summer uh, I'm fortunate enough to where I can get in there when you guys are taking the field and, and watch things. He's always walking around talking to the guys, um, and I know the conversations are different. But as his bench coach, because he has so much, does he ever just go to you and say, hey, Tim, I need you to go talk to Nelson Cruz about X, and you go have that conversation? Or how does that work for you? Yeah, we, we do have those conversations, Mike. I think it's it's one of those things where um, we try to be extensions of each other. And, um 
you know, there's certain situations where, you know, Scotty does a really good job of communicating with all the players, but he can't touch everybody in one day. Right. Um, so obviously we, we come across situations where, you know, maybe somebody's struggling here or there and, and, you know, Hey, mate, he'll tell me, Hey, make sure that, you know, Siggs is, Siggs is okay. He's, it's the middle of May and he's hitting 130, but who cares? We know he's going to hit 290 by the end of the season, you know, just keep, keep reinforcing that with them. And, you know, things like that um, to where, um, you know, his message gets gets sent through myself, not only myself, but the other coaches, um, and also to be able to deliver the message to, to our coaches um, so that they can, they can continue to spread that through the players. I mean, like you said, it is about communication. It's about relationships. It's about trusting each other and respecting each other and and uh, that's what Scotty's done an unbelievable job at. And I think, you know, he's surrounded himself too with this coaching staff that, that is on board with it all. And, um, you know, there's, there's no, in baseball, a lot of times there's people draw lines in the sand uh, about, okay, you're the infield guy. So stay in your box. Don't, don't talk to me about outfield play. Um, and, and it's hard that that doesn't happen here. We, we basically um, we check our egos at the door, and we want to do what's best for the players and and uh, try to get them in the best position possible. So um, the communication part's extremely important. Scotty's really good at, at at making sure that we know that that's that's something we have to do every day. Yeah, the players are a team, and the coaching staff is a is a team as well. You guys work so well together, Tim. T- let's talk a little bit about the additional speed. A lot more speed on this ball club. Gerard Dyson, thirty steals in a limited role last year with the Royals. Uh, Segura with what thirty three stolen bases last year, and uh, uh, Leonis Martin can run the bases. Uh, how much fun? What kind? What is the style of play going to look like with this ball club with that additional speed? It's going to be fun. Yes, I love <laughs> it's it. It's going to be fun. <laughs> um, you know that. We're not losing any of the power, so we're still going to have the home runs. We're still going to drive the ball. We're still going to do all that. But then now you have guys that are going to go from first to third. You're going to have guys scoring on on doubles with without being contested. You're going to have mm-hmm. guys that are going to be putting pressure on opposing pitching staffs to 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 make quality pitches to a middle of a lineup that's pretty de- uh, like devastating. You know, and if they don't, we're going to end up with guys on second base and guys on third base just running and being able to to take advantage of that. And I think it's that's one of the one of the aspects that I think people need to realize is when you you know play against a team that pressures your defense, you you play differently. Um, and we're going to be capable of doing that to teams this year, um, whereas in the past we haven't been able to do that. Um, and if you go into a little bit of a hitting slump or whatever, it's hard to manufacture runs. Well, now we have the ability to maybe get a run on one hit instead of a run on three hits. So it's, it's going to be exciting. I think it's going to be fun. We're going to do it smartly. We're not going to just, you know, run with our hair on fire, but um, we're going to do things the right way and, and, and make it exciting for people to watch this team play. I'll tell you what, Tim, 2017 is going to be an exciting season. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here on our Valentine's Day edition of uh, Hot Stove, and uh, we'll see you down in Peoria in the next uh, few days. Again, Tim, thank you so much, buddy. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, the pride, and I mean the pride of Eastern Illinois University, Mariners bench coach Tim Bogar. We're going to be back with more here in the first hour 
of Hot Stove right after this. Back to more of the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. And again, welcome back to our Valentine's Day edition of Hot Stove. Rick Riz along with Mike Blowers, producer-engineer Kevin Kremen, winding down the first of two hours tonight here on Valentine's Day. And uh, we had a chance to visit with Mariners trainer Rick Griffin, also two segments with uh, Mariners bench coach Tim Bogar. And, and, Mike, you've worked with a lot of guys that uh, did a great job as a bench coach with Lou Pinella. That That's a big job, isn't it, to help that manager make – a lot of key decisions during the course of a ball game. Yeah, I, I think that it, it's it's probably even more so now, Rick, just because of the amount of numbers and information yeah. that is available to these guys, and they are on top of all of that. And as Tim was talking about, Scott, over the course of a game, he will turn around, look over his right shoulder, and say, hey, X, Y, Z here. And he yeah. has to have those numbers available, and there's so much more of that. The amount of information is is staggering at times, and, and that's part of his job. I mean, we were talking about spring training and having anything organized, and that's a difficult thing. But during the season, having all that information and a lot of it, obviously they, they have it right there in front of them, but you also have to be able to know what it is before because sometimes things happen really fast, and you have to make decisions right now. So it's a big job. It's a really big job. He's going, he's going to be a major league manager uh, for somebody here in the near future. Tim does an excellent job. Yeah, he'll be a good one. Uh, what what area of the ball club, Mike, did, did Jerry – really, really addressed during the course of the offseason? Well, in my mind, I think it was just what you were talking to Tim about at the end of it. I think last year, if you think about coming out of spring training, the speed part of it was something that Scott had talked about, especially because of the ball uh, field that they were playing at Safeco, um, but it just didn't happen for them. Uh, Marte, they expected him to run more than he was able to do. Uh, You look at Martini, ended up with a hamstring injury, so that kind of – Aoki didn't work out. They had some guys that they thought they were going to be because it's something they think that they need to do because of Safeco. Um, I think that any club that has that speed, speed plays everywhere, and I think it's important. And sometimes hitters, especially power hitters, they go into slumps. And, you know, all of a sudden if you're stagnant because of that and you're waiting to to get out of it, it could be difficult and it can cost you ball games. I think now they feel like if you can manufacture a few more games because of that speed – I mean, this is real speed. These are guys that have proven it. Dyson yes. has proven it. Yes. Uh, Segura has proven it. Martin yeah. showed it last year. So um, I, I don't think there's any guessing to it right now. It's a huge advantage. The, the trick is, is when do you let them run? Because they're so capable. Uh, when Nelson Cruz is up there, they can score from first at that yeah. point. Uh, so that'll be the interesting thing to watch over the first month, month and a half, how Scott handles this this new thing that he has, which is a tremendous amount of speed. Because of that speed, big guys see more fastballs? It can happen. You know, the one thing, too, that he talked about, which is so true, is that speed, it really changes the opposing team's defense. They have to shorten up a little bit more. It creates more holes for the other guys. There's, so, there's such an advantage to it. Uh, the key is those guys are going to have to get on base, and if they're able to do that, they, they can cause some problems for the opposing team, which is exciting. Going to be a fun team to watch. All right, time now for our 40th anniversary trivia question. So put on your thinking caps. Here it is. And uh, the question is, Robinson Cano drove in 103 runs and scored 107 last year. Who was the last Mariner to have 100 runs scored and 100 RBIs in a season? The winner receives a 40th anniversary prize pack that includes a rally towel, a lanyard, a key ring, and a collectible pin. Call toll-free right now at 206-421-3776 or 866-979-3776. That's toll-free, 206-421-3776 or 866-979-3776. Call right now. Stay tuned for the second hour of 
Hot stove coming your way. We're going to visit with Mark Langston, now the voice on radio, and has been for a while for the Angels. We'll also visit with uh, Ryan Diffish, who does such a great job of covering this ball club uh, for the Seattle Times. Valentine's Day edition of Hot Stove continues right after this. Call in now. Welcome to the Hot Stove. Going and going. Goodbye, baseball. Nelson Cruz. On 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. The Kings 1-2 swing and a miss. He gets them with me on a changeup. Let's fire up the hot stove and talk some Mariners baseball. Here's your host, Rick Riz. And hello again, everybody, and welcome back to the second hour of our Valentine's Day edition of Hot Stove Baseball. Rick Riz along with Mike Blowers, producer-engineer Kevin Kremen, Matty Harden inside the studio here. So uh, our trivia question, we wound up the first uh, hour with our trivia question. Here it is one more time. Robbie Cano last year drove in 103 runs, and he scored 107. Who was the last Mariner to have 100 runs scored and 100 RBIs in a season for the trivia question? Let's go to the audio vault, Manny. Gil Manish against Barry Zito and the pitch. Swung on, fly ball, hit to deep center field. Peyton going back. This will fly away. So back-to-back dinger. Run by Beltray. This a tee shot by Ibanez. His 32nd home run of the year. Unbelievable year for Raul Ibanez, who checks in with his 122nd RBI. Ah, the dulcet tones of uh, the one and only Dave Niehaus. That was also Raul's 100th run scored of the year. He really turned into a heck of a player, heck of a hitter. Six Mariners have reached the 100-100 milestone run scored RBIs, and Raul Ibanez was that guy. He was the last one to do so with 103 runs scored, 123 RBIs in 2006. Junior was the first in 1993 followed by Edgar Martinez, Jay Buhner, Alex Rodriguez, and Brett Boone. The winner of the 40th anniversary prize pack, Josh Anderson of Olympia, Washington. Uh, he came up with the right answer, Raul Ibanez with 7U. So, Josh, uh, thanks for tuning in tonight, and you're going to win that uh, Mariner prize pack. So thank you very much, Josh. How about that? 100 runs scored blow and 100 RBIs. And a uh, number of guys did it here in this organization. Junior the first in 1993, but when you hit 56 home runs, you're off and running to the run score department, too. <laughs> yeah, you, you are, but I, I can tell You're you. You're knocking yourself in. Yeah, looking at this list, a pretty special group. All, you know, when you when you think about Mariners and the history and the offensive players, that's a, that's yeah. it's about as good as it gets with that entire group. And to do it, Rick, it's pretty simple. Uh, you mentioned the power part of it. Um, it certainly helps if you can run, and a number of them can do that. But also, high on base percentage. Give yourself yeah. opportunities. And, and, you know, I think about seeing Edgar and Jay on there. The, the depth of the lineup that those guys hit in, if because they are high on-base guys and would walk, Jay would walk 100 times a year, Edgar is always amongst the league leader in, in on-base percentage. You're given yeah. an opportunity to score more runs, even if you're not the most fleet of foot because of the amount of opportunities you're creating. So it's a special group. When you talk about 100 and 100, uh, that's a special type of player. What was it like for you, Mike, because you hit behind Junior, Edgar, and Jay to watch and those Tino. guys and, and Tino Martinez mm-hmm. to to hit behind those guys on a, on a daily basis. What an offensive machine you guys had back in 1995. Yeah, it was um, it was a lot of fun. And I know for myself, I think most of the time I would hit seventh in the lineup uh, when you go down that list of guys. But it actually for me it turned out to be a pretty good spot it's in the a lineup. Great RBI spot. It was for me because the, all those guys were on base all the time. And in so many, I mean, think about you know. 
those guys. Junior, obviously, a first ballot Hall of Famer. Edgar should be in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you start talking about Jay and, and what he did in his career and, of course, Tino and, and what he ended up doing over the course. These are, these, are, these are great, great hitters. And for me, I went through a stretch, especially in the second half, where I, I felt like I, every day I came to the ballpark, I was going to hit with a runner in scoring position at least twice a night. Yeah. So how could you not love that? Give you an opportunity to drive in runs, which helps you win ball games, and just a great group of guys just to watch it in that lineup and and to watch the opposing managers try to work his way through that and help yeah. his starting pitcher. Uh, it was a difficult task, um, so it, it was a lot of fun. And and but you know the thing I liked about it too is is because these guys were so good and so accomplished. I, it was rare to see anybody get outside of what they normally did well. In other words, put the pressure on themselves. Um, that was a big part of it, and uh, I think probably be a, a big part of that too was, you know, especially for myself and a number of the other players was when Junior ended up getting hurt. Uh, you, you know, what are you going to do at that point? Are you going to sit around and, and and cry about it, or are you going to do something about it? And then when we finally ended up getting him back, we were all much better players. Yeah. And, and and unfortunately, he had to miss a period of time for us. But because it's so easy when you have a player that is that great yeah. to sit around and wait for him to do something. When all of a sudden he's not there, you don't have that option anymore, and I think it made all of us great. But what, what, a, what, a, what a fantastic lineup that was. What did Lou do for you to turn on that switch to be the RBI guy that you were that, that year? Well, I, I think for me, the thing that Lou was able to do for me and Lee Ilya, the, he was the hitting coach with, with Lou, is, is one, once he decided that I was going to be in the lineup because Edgar was going to be the DH, because Edgar at the time was playing third, so I would play third first in the outfield. Um, once he decided I was in there, Lou explained that to me. He says, seventh in this lineup, I need you to drive in runs. And he said, so I know you can hit the ball the other way. Runners in scoring position, stay with that approach. Runner on first or nobody on, I need you to take some chances. I know you're going to strike out a little bit more, but I'm willing to pay that price and drive the ball out of the ballpark. So then we worked on that. Yeah. Now I'm going to get that, and I, you know, I ended up hitting 23 home runs that year. But. That had to really free you up mentally. Okay, I could do this and this in this situation what, and just let it fly. Yeah, what, what freed me up more than anything, because up to that point I was fighting to, you know, to keep a job and to stay in the big leagues, was I, I understand that you're going to strike out and you're going to give up on some of your batting average, and that's okay yeah. because this is what our team needs and what we need from you. Um, so that, that's what freed me up. So when I even went, went through times where I would struggle, it was a lot easier to work my way out of it because I didn't feel the pressure of it. Right. Uh, because of Lou and the way that he went about his business and the way that he treated me. Who's the Mike Blowers on this Mariner ball club? I, th- I think that's to be determined. We'll see. But you, you, I think when you look at championship clubs and you look at clubs that are going to get into the postseason, you always have to have somebody that has a special year, somebody that you don't expect. We know about the three guys in the middle of the lineup, right? They're, right. they're terrific, great players. Somebody's going to have to go outside of that. Um, and we're, we're, we're going to see. We have a young kid in right field. Same thing at first base. Hanager, um, yeah. Valencia, uh, Volva back. Yeah, if you're asking me, my hope would be I, I'd love to see Mike Zanino have a, just a terrific year this year because he's yeah. such a talented young man that he could be a guy that, that can do some damage with the power that he has. Hot stove baseball here on uh, Valentine's evening here in 2017. And now we're going to visit with a guy. Man, the ladies just love this guy. Mark Langston is going to be our guest. Uh, he was a heck of a pitcher for the Mariners, and now he's one of the voices on radio. For the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, we're going to be back with uh, Mark Langston right after this timeout. All things Mariners, all off-season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. All you ladies out there, happy Valentine's night here in uh, the Seattle area. Welcome to Hot Stove and... Guys, I just got a uh, text from Greta Niehaus, David's daughter. 
And it's a quote from a famous baseball guy. And the quote is this, and it's so apropos on Valentine's Day. <laughs> Love is the most important thing in the world. But baseball is pretty good, too. Yogi Berra. <laughs> Greta Niehaus, thank you very much, sweetheart. I like much, it. Sweetheart. Thank you. But baseball is pretty good. Oh, man, I love running into Yogi at times uh, when I'd go in the uh, manager's office to see Joe Torre at Old Yankee Stadium and Yogi would be in there. What a, what a treat to hear stories from Yogi Berra. All right, uh, Hot Stove continues. Rick Riz, Mike Blowers, a chance to visit with uh, a former Mariner pitcher who was the American League Rookie Pitcher of the Year back in 1984, and now he's been on radio for a number of years down in Anaheim with the Angels, visiting with Mark Langston. Mark, thanks for joining us tonight, buddy. Happy Valentine's Day to you and your wife. Oh, thank you very much. And you guys got uh, some serious brownie points to make up doing a show, a hot stove show on Valentine's Day. Wow, that is that is <laughs> above and beyond the call of duty right there. Mark, well, I tried to explain that to Kevin Kremen, but he said that for me to get into the yeah. station either way. So here we sit. Yeah, <laughs> And you too. So tell the show, thank you very much for letting you be on the show tonight. I, well, I'm still at the house. You guys are in the studio. So I, I, <laughs> you can take a break from me for 10, 15 minutes. No big deal. Well, i tell you what, buddy. It's always a pleasure to visit with you when we go down to Anaheim or you guys come up here. You come in the booth. You sit down. We, we talk. We laugh. We tell stories. Uh, but uh, let, let's go back a few years because we were talking about the early days of the franchise. Rick Griffin was on in the first hour. He started back in 1983 along with Kevin and myself. You came up as a rookie in 1984 along with all those guys you played with the year before in AA. You had a big league club in Chattanooga uh, in 1983, and you, all you guys got here, I think, the following year. What was it like coming up through the organization with all that great young talent, Mark? Boy, no doubt about it. You talked about – and you see it more prevalent in today's game, how the, the prospects are really uh, – First and foremost, in almost everybody's organization, and back in the day, I, I have a hard time believing that anybody other than the Mariners had a, a better farm system. The Mariners' farm system at the time, I was coming up through it, boy, it was star-studded. And uh, Hal Keller, the late great Hal Keller, did a marvelous job of assembling a lot of great young talent that uh, came up through the ranks. As you mentioned, that whole double-A team just about came up. Alvin Davis was there. Danny Tarnable was there. Darnell Coles did a little bit of time there. Jim Presley was there. Ivan Calderon was there. Dave Valley was there. So, I mean, these are a lot of names a lot of people are familiar with in the Seattle history, Seattle Mariner history. We all came up together basically in the next year, year and a half. When, when you mentioned all the names, and obviously it, it doesn't matter where those guys would have played, they were going to play in the big leagues and play for a long time, yourself included. But when you're in that situation and you're in double-A and you're that young, do you understand the opportunity that you had with Seattle at that time that was basically trying to get an entire organization turned around? And maybe you guys were able to get to the big leagues a little quicker than if you were in a different situation on a more established organization. You know, I don't think so. I think back, if you look back at it, and I think a lot of guys would almost do the same thing, we never looked past where we were playing. We were focused on our year in double A. I don't think any of us looked at, well, we're going to be in the big leagues or make an impact at the big league level. You worried about doing your job at the double A level. And I think, uh, you know, when you look at it, this, this was a, a lot of very talented guys. And this was an organization. I, I remember coming to the big leagues. And again, all these guys came up to the big leagues. We all came up to the big leagues the exact same time. Jim Beatty was our, our veteran guy that we had. 
Uh, they made a trade for Gorman Thomas. And, but other than that, there was a few guys that were uh, that were there. Al Collins, uh, the veteran guy, but it was a, a really young group. So you didn't realize you had an opportunity right in front of you. I think this is what I always tell young players, too. Stay focused on where you are. Try not to look past that. Get your job done. Lay your foundation down. And then whatever happens the next year is going to happen. So, uh, And that was a year that kind of started out really good for me at Chattanooga, and it got away from me because I started the year 10-2, and two, and then all the rumors. Everybody started telling me, hey, you're going up to AAA. And I was like going, what? There's no way. I'm focused on AA. And then they were telling me I'm going up to the big leagues. Uh, so, again, 10-2 and two at the half. I finished 14-11. and 11. So, as you can see, the wheels fell off. My focus, <laughs> I lost it. And you know, at the end of the year, they patted me on the back and said, have a nice winter. We'll see you next spring. <laughs> and so that, that was the focus that I needed and really kind of lit the fire underneath me that I understood how close uh, I actually was to getting to the big leagues. Well, you got the wheels back where they were supposed to be, Mark, because in 1984 – it was a special year for two young pitchers because two young pitchers led their respective leagues in strikeouts. Mark Langston in the American League, you, and also a kid by the name of Dwight Gooden in the National League for the Mets. What made you so good at getting a baseball pass to hitter? You know, I, I, again, I had the ability to throw hard. That's a plus. I I was aggressive. Rick, as you mentioned, there's the, led the league in strikeouts, but I think I led the league in walks, too. We're pretty darn close to it. I forget that. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, we'll forget that, too. Forget but that. Uh, it, it's just something that I, I pitched very aggressively. I was in attack mode with every hitter. And I back in those days, if I walked you, I didn't care. I was going to be in attack mode the next guy. Uh, my goal was to make sure that the other team didn't score to try to do the best I could for that for as long as I possibly could. The late, great Dave Henderson, my former neighbor, I think he gave me some of the best piece of advice that I, I could have had at, the, at that time when I was a young pitcher. He said, here's the deal. Don't worry about any of the other elements. You go out there and you do the job, and there's only going to be two things that are going to happen. You're either going to walk off with the rest of the team at the end of the game, or they'll come out and take the ball out of your hand when they don't watch you anymore. So that really set the mindset for me. Uh, just to focus on just take it inning by inning, batter by batter, and try to attack as hard as I could. Mark, there's, you and I have had this conversation a number of times, but I'd like for you to talk about it a little bit. I was talking to Tim Bogar earlier, the bench coach for the Mariners, and just as a bench coach in today's game with all the numbers and everything that they look at and all the metrics that are out there, how much more difficult that job is. But when you talk about your pitching career and the time that you had in the big leagues and then obviously being at the ballpark every day and watching pitchers of today, one – What's the biggest difference? And then lastly, how do you feel about pitch counts? Hmm. Well, you know, pitch count, I'll start with that one right out of the gate. Pitch <laughs> count, I can't stand it. Uh, as you guys well know, we came back into the day where, again, if you didn't pitch into the seventh inning, I was embarrassed. I felt horribly bad. I went, heck, a, a little league game is six innings. If I can't go at least into the seventh inning, uh, you know, you're not doing your job. Pitch counts, I, I just think that it, it's so out of control and I know they, you know, the analytical people can tell you they got factual stuff that can back it up. But to me, I think the managers back in those days really just watched the game. The hitters will let you know when you have to make an adjustment. And as you know, Blau, as a, as a pitcher that's on the mound, maybe you're facing for the fourth time. There's two things that are happening. If he's out there facing you for the fourth time, there's a good chance that uh, he's had good stuff to be able to stay in that game. 
sometimes when you get a little tired, you'll have a little more movement on your ball. But so I can't stand the pitch counts. I wish they would, whoever came up with that. And, and I get to see Burt Blylevin when the Twins come into town. <laughs> And it is great talking about pitch counts with him and Jim Palmer when the Orioles come into town, and that drives them crazy. <laughs> All these old, older pitchers that play the game, pitch counts, uh, they're not really a big fan of that. So, uh, you, you know, that, that part I wish they would do away with, but as far as all the new analytical information, it, it's a ton of information. And, and, Blau, you would know you could get – there could be too much information. I think that's probably the, the part of the coaching staff – is to make sure that the players have the information, but they're just not completely bogged down with too much information to where this job is still become simple. If you're the pitcher, it's throw the ball to the glove. That's where you got to stay focused on, stay with your strengths as much as possible. A lot of time, the information that you get is almost going to steer you away from maybe a strength of yours to try to find the, where the weakness is for the hitter, where – uh, I was always taught to believe if it's my strength and his his strength, I'm going to still try to execute that uh, that same area. We are in the Wayback Machine here on Hot Stove, visiting with former Mariner pitcher Mark Langston, now the current voice on radio for the Angels. We're going to talk about his radio career. We're going to talk about the Angels in 2017. We'll be back with Mark Langston as Hot Stove continues here on Valentine's Day night right after this timeout. Back to more of the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Hoping end of the season right around the corner. Add more excitement to your group outing at the ballpark with a hospitality package. Choose from one of the hospitality areas, each with its own great view of the field, plus customize your food and beverage package with a buffet, private bartender, and more to see the many options available to you to the season. At Safeco Field, visit mariners.com slash groups. Visiting with uh, former Mariner Mark Langston, now the voice on radio for the Angels. And, Mike, before we talk about the Angels in 2017, how did you go from former pitcher to current radio broadcaster in Southern California for the Angels? Well, it, uh, it happened by chance, really. I was, uh, you know, I really wasn't interested in doing much because, I, as you well know, it's, it is a very much a grind as a player. Uh, and then when I was retired, I wanted to make sure that uh, I was at home. I missed my oldest daughter, Katie. I missed a lot of her world playing baseball, which is it's a byproduct of what it is. But I wanted to make sure that I was around for my youngest daughter, Gabby, uh, until she was on her way to college. And so once she hit college, I was ready to do something and, and especially get back into the game of baseball. I had coached high school baseball right after I retired uh that's actually the school my oldest daughter, Katie, went to, and I think it was more or less to make sure uh, that a lot of guys on the baseball team kept their eyes on her and she kept out of trouble. I think that was one of the main reasons. <laughs> uh, but it was really uh, something that just fell into my lap. I was ready to get into uh, you know, something with baseball, and this is what literally just appeared in front of me. I'd never done the radio side before. I had done some TV stuff, but uh, it was it was fun. It was a fun opportunity for me, and I, I jumped on it, and I've had a blast. I really, truly have. Uh, and, again, seeing you guys is truly yeah. – I think it's the funnest time for me to, when I get to either – you guys come to the Anaheim or we go up to Seattle uh, to spend time with you guys and just to reminisce, just talk. And uh, it's almost like family seeing you guys again. So it, uh, I look forward to that, but it has truly been a blessing for me. I love, I've loved uh, being able to do this. 
I'll ask you a question that I get asked all the time, Mark, and I know that it, if, if you wanted to, and, and the, I'm sure the opportunity would be there for you, but um, did you ever consider putting a uniform back on and going down and coaching? You, you obviously know a lot. You and I talk endlessly about baseball. and Is that ever something that you considered, or are you just happy with where you're at right now? You know, you always consider that. I mean, that's, that's something, Blau, that if we played the game. Uh, and I think there's always that little teaching element, something that you always want to pass along to some people, some of the knowledge that we were able to get while we played the game of baseball. Uh, you always look for that opportunity if somebody's willing to uh, listen. And, you know, I feel like I still have a, a small little piece of that. Uh, talk to Garrett Richards and I want some of the, get the pitchers on the team. I've had great conversations with them about some of the, the pitching aspects. So I still get a little bit of that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if it's the situation presented itself, uh, I would have to wait and see. And uh, uh, But I, I I love to be able to talk the game of baseball. That's what I get to do on the radio. But certainly if the coaching side appeared, I would take a look at it. Visiting with uh, Mark Langston, the radio voice, uh, color analyst uh, for the Angels. Last year, Mark, your ball club uh, in 2016, 74 and 88, pretty good center fielder out there, Mr. Trout, uh, the best player in the game of baseball. Love Cole Calhoun in right field. There's Albert Pujols. You had a lot of key injuries in that starting rotation. Garrett Richards, such a talented uh, pitcher, and coming back, uh, he didn't have the Tommy John, did he? Stem cell uh, treatment. Uh, what, was, what was the story with uh, Garrett Richards? Yeah, Garrett Richards, he made only six starts last year. Then he had the UCL tear in his elbow, and it basically everybody was saying Tommy John. In fact, Garrett, I had this conversation many times with Garrett. Garrett wanted to have the Tommy John surgery. Then they talked about why do we not try the stem cell procedure. And I'm a stem cell guy, and I definitely think it is where the future is heading to where players are, are definitely going to go that route and that path, and, and they – presented that option to Garrett, and Garrett uh, said, hey, there, there's that window that Garrett had to where if he was going to have the surgery, they knew the cutoff date. If the stem cell treatment was not working, that he could still go ahead and have the Tommy John procedure and miss the 2017 season and be ready for the 2018 season. So they always had that in mind. He did the stem cell, and it really uh, it kept healing and kept repairing to the point to where he went to Instructional League and was able to throw. He's totally cleared. I talked to him last week before he took off to camp. Uh, he feels fantastic. He said it's been a complete normal winter for him. He has no side effects. He got checked out by the doctors, and it completely healed his elbow. So you're looking at a guy that had, could have missed the entire 2017 season. Now looks like he'll be uh, starting game one for the Angels for the 2017 season. So, uh, as you guys well know, it's all about pitching. The Angels pitching staff got crushed, losing Garrett Richards and Andrew Heaney. Those were the one-two guys in their rotation last season. Both those guys go down with uh, elbow injuries, missed the whole entire season. In fact, Andrew Heaney did have the uh, Tommy John surgery. So, uh, getting Garrett Richards back at the top of the rotation, he is a front guy on anybody's team. Maybe not the Mariners with Felix up there, but he is definitely a one-two guy in any rotation. Outside of health, Mark, when you look at this Angels team um, going into this year and, and, and having looked at where they have gone over the last couple of years, um, outside of health, what are they going to have to do better if they want to take a step forward? 
Well, you're definitely looking at a team that's uh, got to it's got to catch the ball better. They finished 14th in the American League in fielding percentage. They have to do a better job at that. And that's one of the things. There's two things that Billy Epler this winter tried to do. The GM for the Angels. Two things he tried to do. One, he wanted to get more guys with really good on-base percentage, and he's he's all about the on-base percentage. Uh, so he did do that. He did acquire some people to try to improve that, but he wanted to improve the defense. Key acquisitions for the Angels this year, and they were sneaky little moves that I don't think I don't know how many people really have paid attention. They got Cameron Maven from the Tigers, uh, who is a center fielder who is now going to play left field. Left field has been an absolute black hole for the Angels. I think since Garen Anderson played out in left field, so they've had problems feeling that, and that includes the big contract they had. They signed Josh Hamilton to that never worked out at all. So they're excited about the ability to have really quality defense in the outfield. With Trout is a potential Gold Glover in center field. Calhoun's already won a Gold Glove in right field, and now Maven, a very talented defender, is going to be in left field. So they feel like anything in the air uh, is going to be caught, much like the way the Mariners are kind of constructed. Although there's some younger players, but they are trying to play better defense also. Uh, that, that's a big pickup with Cameron Maven. And at second base, they got Danny Espinosa from the Washington Nationals, who was the shortstop for him last year. A very talented defender is now going to play second base. And to partner up with Andrelton Simmons, who I think is the best shortstop in all of baseball defensively, he is as good as, and he's not as good as Omar Vizquel. I've always, I've told him that, and I've told Omar <laughs> will always be the gold standard. Exactly. But this kid is really talented. Mark, uh, I tell you what, I wish we had more time uh, for this segment. It was great to have you on tonight. We always look forward to seeing uh, the Angels because we have a chance to run into you. And I love it when you come into the booth and you just kind of plop down. We talk about the old days, and uh, we we make you feel at home. You make us feel at home. So uh, I'm really proud of you. I really am for your the second career that you have embarked on. You're doing a great job down there in Southern California. It's always great to see you and tonight to hear you on our Valentine's Day special. Well, Rick, and Mike, I can't thank you enough for having me on there. And, Rick, as you well know, I, every time I get a chance to see you and pick your brain, this is what you've done your whole career. So it's, uh, it's always great to get that inside information about what I do now mm-hmm. from one of the best in baseball. And, Rick, oh. you truly are. And uh, to consider you a, a great friend from way back, uh, I, I've always enjoyed being around you guys. And I, I look forward. I can't wait for the uh, – the games against you guys, it's always a blast. And it'll be a fun year. I think it's going to be it a be. fun, fun year for everybody's ball club. I think the American League West, I think, is going to be the best division in all of baseball. It's going to be fun. Hey, it's Valentine's Day. I love you, buddy. You have a good night tonight, all right? I'll see you at spring you training. All, all right. right I'll see, see you, Mark. Mark Langston, former Mariner pitcher, current voice on radio, along with Terry Smith. They do a great job down there. We'll be back with more. We're going to visit with Ryan Divish. He does such a great job covering this ball club from the Seattle Times. We'll be back with Ryan right after these messages. All things Mariners, all off-season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Winding down the second hour of uh, Hot Stove tonight here on uh, Valentine's Day 2017. Rick Riz along with Mike Blowers. Producer engineer Kevin Krem and Matty Harden. A special guest right now, guys that's been covering the ball club now for a number of years, does a great job for the Seattle Times, Ryan Divish. How you doing, Ryan? And what's the weather like down there in Peoria, Arizona? Give us a weather report. 
Hey, Rick. Yeah, it's about, uh, well, now, you know, it's nighttime, so it's about 68 degrees. Uh, today got up to about 72, I think. It was, sun finally came out. It's, it, it's really, this time of year in Phoenix area, it's gorgeous because it's not too hot, but it's not too cold. It's just comfortable. It's right there, yeah. It's been nice up here the last couple of days. <laughs> Ryan, uh, you don't yeah, get... no, I leave and it gets nice. Yeah, I know. Uh, you, you don't have much of an off season. You cover this ball club and all the things going on. Jerry DePoto keeps you very, very busy. I think you called him dealing Jerry DePoto uh, because of all the trades over the last couple of off seasons. What What's the so-called off season like for you and the other writers covering this ball club as you, as you get ready for spring training? <laughs> yeah, you're right, Jerry. Jerry doesn't believe in off seasons. I don't know if he even believes in off days half the time, but uh, you kind of live in fear of your phone ringing and, or your phone buzzing and saying, hey, there's the Mariners have made another move. But, no, I mean, you try and get some time away. You need to decompress because it is a grind. Uh, I'm on the road a lot during the season. I think last year I was on the road 200 days. So I try and just kind of decompress. Um, hang out. I go back to Montana and see my family. My parents have my dog, so I go back and see my dog and just kind of live a slower life as much as possible. And invariably, like the night before Thanksgiving, you get a call from the mayor saying, hey, Jerry's going to make a really big trade right now. <laughs> and, he, and he did. And, and it was a big one. Hey, Ryan, outside of playing golf, uh, what's the best part of spring training for you? I just wonder because you mentioned it, you travel so much and you're constantly – covering these guys, but then all of a sudden you get to get down there and there's the sunshine, but more importantly, there's baseball going on and things got started today. So I'm just curious for somebody that has covered as much as you have, what do you look forward to as far as spring training? Yeah, I, I take my golf clubs down there every year and I don't know how many rounds of golf I actually play, but I think for me, you know, spring training is a time when you really get to know these guys a little bit, you know, there's a lot more downtime. They get familiar with you because you're around every day. And also, you get to see some of the younger players that you might not get to see for the rest of the season, uh, you know, some of the, the prospects that are in camp. So th- those kinds of things, I think, are important. But I, I really, it is a, a chance for us to get a feel with the players and, and get to know them and maybe write some stories that aren't just about games but more about the personal side. I, I, that's what I kind of like. Heck, I remember when – I remember Kyle Seeger's first year in, in big league camp and how big his eyes were and him walking around like – what have I gotten myself into? I mean, you know, it makes me feel old, but some of those guys, you, you, you know, I remember them when they were all the way down in double A and now they've moved their way up. Did you feel like that your rookie year? Oh, well, my rookie year, uh, it was 2008, which wasn't what you call the, the best collection of guys in terms of dealing with the media. And I've gone down there. They'd throw me in at the last minute. Cause I was working for the news tribune and Larry LaRue had had a heart attack in the off season. And, I was like the only single guy on the staff that could do it. So they just said, hey, you're going to spring training. You know, and I covered the Mariners as, on a part-time basis. But to, to get thrown down there that first year, and that team had a ton of expectations. And it was, it was certainly eye-opening. I, I, uh, I learned a lot, and I gained 17 pounds that, uh, that spring training because <laughs> In-N-Out Burger is right next to the stadium. <laughs> I was doing that every day. Oh, man, they, they do a great burger, don't they? Visiting with Ryan Divish of the Seattle Times. Uh, Ryan, uh, covering this ball club this year, they made the 10-win improvement last year, 86 wins compared to 76 the previous season. What are the the most important stories on the ball club this year as, as we get ready for spring training? Well, I think one of them that I wrote about today is Felix Hernandez and, and what he's going to be this year. Um, you know, we wrote a little bit about how good a shape he looks. He's, he's appeared to have added a lot of muscle to his body. He's taken the off season very seriously. 
You saw a lot of the videos that we were posting on Twitter and Instagram of him working out with a guy named Iron Glenn. We actually talked to Iron Glenn today. I mean, he, he could motivate me, I know that. But uh, I think that's really important. I, I think if, if – if, and I think you guys would agree, if, if Felix Hernandez doesn't get hurt last year and miss seven weeks, mm-hmm. I think they make the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, you, you take that guy out of the rotation for that long. And, and, you know, and he wasn't even his normal self last year. He had all kinds of command problems. I think the league has kind of picked up a few things that he's doing, uh, especially just kind of going down and away, down and away. But even then, even through all of that, you know, he got them 11 wins, and he kept them in games, and he won some important games. So you think seven extra weeks with that guy, you're going to get the one or two wins that you need to get in the playoffs. So I think for them, they've got to have him. He's the horse. He's the guy that stops the losing streaks, and he's the guy that kind of just you know you're going to get six or seven if your bullpen's been taxed. And they didn't have that guy last year for a big stretch of time, and that really hurt them. When you look at all the things that happened over the course of the winter – um, what is the one thing without having, without knowing that you think is going to be the biggest key for this club as far as a transaction goes? Huh, that's, a, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, I, I really like Gene Segura, uh, and I really like Jared Dyson. I, I guess it's – I don't know if it's the one transaction, but the idea that they got so much more athletic with three moves. I mean, if you look at 1-2 one, one, and 9, 9-1-2 nine, in your batting order, you're going to bat Leonis Martin 9, and the combination, you probably bat Dyson leadoff and Segura second, particularly with a right-hander on the mound. That's as fast as it gets in baseball, and you're going to have them right in a row. And I think last year, they were just really reliant on the home runs. Uh, you know, they, didn't, they weren't good at manufacturing runs. They weren't good at being creative and scoring runs. I think this gives them a whole new dimension. And, I mean, if you're – if you're Robinson Cano and you're at the plate and you know Jared, Gerard Dyson's on second base, you don't have to do a whole lot to get him in. And I think that's going to be a big difference maker for this team this year. And you're going to see it more on defense. I mean, you know, the, the, the way that the Safeco field plays, and at times last year it was really painful to watch them play defense in the outfield, and it cost them some games. So I think this year you're going to see a significant improvement in the outfield defense and just the overall athleticism. One of the things that we all baseball fans saw in the postseason last year is how important a bullpen is. And with the Mariners, um, when they had struggled, their bullpen has really struggled. And when they've had success, the bullpen has done their job. Where do you think this bullpen is at as you start spring training? Well, I certainly think it's better than it was a year ago at this time. I mean, last year when they left spring training, they had to make a trade on the second of the last day of spring to fill out the bullpen because they didn't have enough arms. And they left uh, – they left Peoria that year with one guy in the bullpen that threw 95 miles an hour, Tony Zick. This year, with Edwin Diaz as the closer, and if you keep Dan Altavilla and Shea Simmons in the bullpen, you'll have three kids that throw 95 to 98, almost 100 miles an hour. You need those power arms, you know, and if Zick comes back healthy by May, you can add him in. I think, you know, they also have a lefty, a real lefty that gets out. So I think last year they had to really piece the late innings together because Vidal Nuno wasn't a left-on-left guy. They have that Mark Zepchinski. It just has a better overall look and feel. And you actually have some arms that you're going to send down to AAA that you can use and call up and feel comfortable. I think last year they didn't really know. They had to call up the guys like Steve Johnson and stuff like that, and it was just kind of piecing it together. And it got overworked, and, and they really got exposed. I think this year you're not going to use Nick Vincent a ton in, in bad situations. You're going to use him only against righties and where he's going to flourish. You'll have Evan Scribner for a whole year. I just think you, you have a better overall understanding of what your bullpen can be.
Yeah, Nick Vincent, Vincent was that guy who showed up uh, on our Dort stuff uh, with, with two days left uh, in the spring. Visiting with Ryan Divish of the Seattle Times. Ryan, looking at Scott's service last year, I thought he was the rookie of the year on, on this ball club and for this organization. What a great job he did as a manager, first time around managing any type of ball club. You and he have a special relationship. I love doing the pregame show with him every day. Uh, th- those meetings at 9 o'clock in the morning were so much fun for the players. They got to know one another. What do you think it's going to be like this year? They got the pool table last year, the story with Tony Zick. Is there going to be a ping-pong table this year? Or are they get the pool table back? Or what's it going to be like inside the clubhouse this spring? Well, well, there's a basketball hoop outside the clubhouse. I just noticed when I was out there messing around. So they'll, they'll have games. You're right, Rick. I think the biggest thing, and people get look at the manager and, and they, they, sit, they think of, when to call a bunch or when to bring in a reliever. But mm-hmm. I think Mike will agree with this. It's getting guys to believe in a philosophy and preparing themselves. You know, you're not babysitting them. Get guys right. to go in and do their work and come to the park and, and with an expectation of how you're supposed to do things. And the biggest thing for Scott Service was he got Robinson Cano and Felix Hernandez and Nelson Cruz and Kyle Seeger to buy into what he said. And those guys, if your four best players are doing what the manager says, then if you're the 25th guy on the roster, you can't do that. You can't go offline. And I think that was the big thing. He empowered Robbie. I, I, you know, I covered Robbie the last few years, and that's as, as vocal and as, as kind of um, interactive as I'd seen Robbie in a long time. And Nelson, I think, really had kind of felt his way through. He really kind of stepped forward. And even Kyle, who's not real comfortable in that, I think did more than he normally does. And that's because I think he made them comfortable doing that. I mean, it's one thing to sit and tell a guy to be a leader, but you have to find ways to bring it out in them. And I think Service did, did a good job at that. And that's really the, the biggest aspect for me of what a manager does is get your guys prepared on a daily basis. And once the game starts, you know, sometimes it's heads or tails if, it's gonna, if a move is going to work or not. Right. Well, you already mentioned uh, Felix, but I think another guy that could be a real key for this club um, is James Paxton. Give me your thoughts on James uh, outside of the health issues um, that he's had. But last year, changing the arm angle, we saw the velocity at 99 miles an hour. He seems to be a guy that can still have that type of velocity when he's 110 pitches into it. Where do you see him tracking, and what do the Mariners need out of him this year? Well, you know, it, it, it seems like every year you kind of we're at this point in the season, you're thinking – and I'm writing about what could James Paxton be if it all comes together. Well, last year was the first year he had a full season, if you count his AAA numbers, where he didn't really have that major injury that set him down. You know, he had the nail issue and everything, but nothing severe. Uh, maybe the next step is now putting it all together for a big league season and having success, you know, a little bit more success on the mound. You saw, you know, some extended periods of it. And really, if you look at it, this is guy has got number two stuff, and you need him to kind of take that step. As they move forward – in these next few years, James Paxton has to take the forefront. He has to kind of help them bridge the gap for some of these guys getting older, like Felix Hernandez. I mean, realistically, he should be their number two starter if he pitches to his potential. I thought the big thing last year, and I talked with Mel Sotomayor about this, James changed up his whole mindset about how he prepared, about how he did things in between starts, how he studied, and he got a whole lot of attitude when he got onto the mound late in the season. I saw him running some fastballs in on guys. Uh, buzzing the tower a little bit. I think you need to see that from him because guys will dig in. And I think, you know, he kind of once said, you know, i got to start thinking like a power pitcher. Maybe he's finally starting to do that now. How happy is uh, Gene Segura a chance to come over here after having a heck of a year last year in the National League for the Diamondbacks at 319, 41 doubles, 20 home runs, what close to, close to 70 RBIs, and the 33 stolen bases to be able to play alongside every day 
with Robbie Cano, a guy he's with every day uh, during the offseason back home in the Dominican Republic. That's going to be a great story to watch. Yeah, I, I think so. I think, you know, really with Gene, I think there's a comfort level of having Robbie there. Gene has dealt with a lot of stuff in his life off the field that has really kind of made, you know, baseball is sanctuary and you want that to be as as comfortable as possible having somebody like Cano there is, is important I do think that you know if there is a period where Gene struggles having Robbie there to kind of lean on will help him a little bit and I think it works well for Robbie I think Gene brings a lot of energy and I think Robbie can feed off that as well so I, you know having those two together I mean it can't hurt having your double play combination working out the entire offseason yeah. Right. Rick asked me this earlier in the show, and, and, and it caught me a little bit off guard, but I thought about it, and, and I quickly came up with an answer to him, and he asked me, who was the one guy outside of the guys in the middle of the lineup? You know what to expect from them. You've talked about the speed guys. that could have a difference, maybe a difference maker on this club. And, and I said Mike Zanino. Uh, your thoughts on Mike and the impact that maybe Scott Brochus, who had worked with him in AAA last year and now is with the big league club, that he could have on him throughout the year? Yeah, I mean, I- we saw what Mike could be those what first four and a half, five weeks when he got called up. You saw the better at bats, him taking the walks, him driving the ball to right center. I think he got caught up in the moment of baseball, you know, with where the Mariners were at. They took they had some tough losses and he wasn't playing well. And I think if anything, Mike really cares, you know, almost to a fault and he lets it get to him. I think he picked up a lot of the bad habits that he'd had the year before late in the season. You saw him kind of regress. But I, I think it's better. I think he understood why he regressed which is a big thing compared to what it was two years ago. I mean, I don't think the Mariners are asking a lot from him. You know, he, he already plays really good defense. He already handles the staff. He already receives the ball really well. All they want from him is, you know, hit 230. Hit 230 and get on base at 320. And if Mike Zanino hits 230, he's going to get 20 home runs just by how strong he is. And I think that's, that's really all they need. I mean, they're not asking him to be something he's not. But if he can just kind of find a little bit more consistency, put a little more, uh, put more balls in play, I, I think that you're going to see some improvement. Ryan, it's going to be a fun spring, and you're there already, warming up a little bit more for us. Thanks a lot for joining us tonight here on Hot Stove on Valentine's Day. Yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm, I, my date really is going to be upset. My, uh, <laughs> Ryan, thanks a lot for joining us, right, buddy. See you guys. We'll see you in a few days. Well, Mike Blower is a heck of a job uh, on uh, Hot Stove on this Valentine's Day. Thanks to tell uh, Nicole, thank you very much for letting us power you for a couple of hours. You know what? And safe travels to you and Kevin. You guys are heading down to Arizona quickly. I'll be down a little bit after that, but uh, safe travel to you guys. Okay, and you too when you get down there. And I tell you what, fine show uh, visiting with Rick Griffin, Tim Bogart. A lot going on tonight. And uh, Mark Langston and Ryan Divish. Everybody's fired up about 2017. It's going to be a fun season. And thank you for tuning in tonight. Enjoy the rest of your Valentine's Day evening 2017 for Kevin Kremen and Maddie Harden and Mike Blowers. I'm Rick Riz saying so long, everybody, and we'll see you next week for more Hot Stove Baseball live from our 710 ESPN studios. Can it, Matt? See you later! <laughs>